0: Welcome to the Soul Sessions Podcast. Deep dive into the causes and real issues underlying addiction, codependency, emotional eating, weight concerns, and the trance of unworthiness. Tune in weekly to befriend, nourish, and heal body, feelings, mind, and soul. And now your host,
1: soul-centered psychotherapist, trauma expert, and mind-body eating coach, Jody Gale. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Soul Sessions with Jodie Gale podcast. This episode is sponsored by my new Facebook group, Trauma Warriors. I would like to acknowledge traditional custodians of the land on which my office is based and across which we virtually meet and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I extend that respect to all First Nations, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening to this podcast. Today, my guest is Alison Puryear and we are going to be talking about how therapists reinforce unworthiness when they support intentional weight loss. Alison is a US-based therapist who has worked with people with eating disorders since 2001 and trauma survivors since 1998. After working at an inpatient eating disorder treatment centre, Alison coordinated the eating disorder treatment team within the University of Georgia's Health Centre. She has had private practices in Athens, Georgia, Seattle, Washington, and Asheville, North Carolina. Alison earned the distinction of being a certified eating disorder specialist by the International Association of Eating Disorder Professionals. More recently, Alison realized she had a knack for helping other therapists. She has done the work to figure out the logistics of building sustainable, full and happy practices and now helps others do the same. Welcome, Alison.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah, I'm so looking forward to speaking to you. I've been a member of your group for many years, and we have crossed paths in eating disorder discussions and diet discussions. So I'm really looking forward to this discussion around this episode, really, which is aimed at therapists, not so much clients today. So would you just share a little bit about yourself and how you found your way to working in the disordered eating field? Absolutely.
0: So I think like a lot of us who work in disordered eating and eating disorders, I had my own struggles. And there was this sense when I finally hit this place of pretty solid recovery where I was like, oh, this was available this whole time. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that there was this freedom state that I could get to and that maybe other people could get to that I'd been in treatment with or whatever. I was already in school to be a therapist, an undergraduate school as a psych major and knew I wanted to be a therapist, but it realizing that the therapy I'd had had helped me get so much more ease and freedom in an area of my life that had been so fraught really made me realize I wanted this for everyone who even had an inkling that it was available for them.
1: So you were already trained to be a therapist before you went into recovery or while you were in getting treatment. Is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah, well, I was in undergraduate, which here in the U.S., you know, it's different all over the world. But here in the U.S., we go to undergrad and then we go to grad school. And so I was in those classes like Psych 101 and Behaviorism 101. So I was learning the very basics and knew I wanted to go to graduate school and become a therapist, but didn't really know what I was getting myself into, (laughs) like most of us with our (laughs) careers. And just realizing that there was this whole other way to do life really inspired me. And all my undergraduate work, or all my graduate work rather, was around eating disorders and trauma.
1: Uh huh. I was noticing, in, you know, on your website, you've um, got quite a, a lot of experience and some wonderful experience working in the field as well. So, um, did you mostly? I, I, because I know you work with a lot of therapists now. Did you mm-hmm. mostly spend your whole therapy career? working with the eating disorder field or did you kind of deviate in any way or?
0: I started out in sexual trauma because Uh I thought, you know, there's such a huge overlap
1: between
0: sexual trauma and eating disorder. So I was like, maybe we can nip eating disorders in the bud. Mm. Um, It was maybe a little bit naive. If we work on the trauma before the eating disorder hits as if it were a a wave that was going to hit at a particular time. And of course, many of my clients were coming into me to work on the trauma, but they already had the seeds of eating disorders or very active eating disorders. And since eating disorders were kind of my passion anyway, just because that's where I'd found so much freedom. I was like, well, maybe I can just refocus. (laughs) So most of my therapy career, I've had the majority of my clients working through eating disorders or disordered eating.
1: Yeah. Much, much like me, which is obviously a similar history. So I know when we see in therapist groups, and I hate this, I don't even like saying it because I think if anyone was to hear it, I just I just cringe that eating disorder patients are hard to work with and mm-hmm. I personally do not experience that. Maybe it's because it's my own history as well. But um, what do you love about working in this field and with this population in particular?
0: I see this too of everybody being like, oh, eating disorders are so hard. I don't want to work with those clients. And I'm like, more for me then, <laughs> you know, because my, what I love, it's not the disordered eating or the eating disorder, though I do find that piece fascinating culturally. But what I love is the the person underneath all that armor the people that I've worked with with eating disorders are typically really bright. They're really motivated. They're really loving. they are people who want to do good in the world And a really, it's muddied when they have their eating disorder, but once mm-hmm. they're getting their foothold in recovery, it becomes clear and clear the way they want to be of service to the world. And not once we kind of turn it from the martyry side of that (laughs) and turn it towards an empowering for themselves and others. side of that. I get really excited about the personality types that tend to have eating disorders.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you touched on something earlier too, when you started to talk about trauma and um, Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but my experience is that 99.9% of my eating disorder population have a trauma history. So you're working with some very vulnerable and I don't know, just interesting people. I just love this population. Uh, So normally this podcast is focused on women who are suffering, so with trauma, disordered eating, the transplant worthiness. But today we're going to be speaking specifically to therapists, as I mentioned earlier. So over the years in many therapist forums, at least every few months there are posts asking about how the therapists can support their usually overweight clients on their weight mm-hmm. loss journey. And I guess I just, you answered a post that had a really great response and so that really spoke to me. And so I just wanted to get your perspective on people thinking, well, what's wrong with supporting our clients in their intentional weight loss goals and their weight loss journeys? And I'd like for us to unpack that today. So what is wrong with therapists supporting their clients in intentional weight loss?
0: I think it's kind of the same thing that would be wrong for us supporting our clients and holding their breath underwater for four hours. Like it doesn't work. So I don't want to support my client in an unreasonable goal that's going to make them feel worse about themselves. And I don't want other therapists to do it either. Um, You know, we're a modality or we're a field that is supposed to be based at least partly on science. Mm. But I find that when we are talking about weight loss, it's kind of like that just goes out the window for people because they've got their own stuff around it. So yeah. like any therapist listening to this knows this. And if some of some people who are not therapists but are struggling with their own eating disorders or disordered eating or hearing this, here's a news alert. All of us struggle with this on some level because we are born into these cultures where fat is bad mm-hmm. and thin is good. And there are all of these negative things equated to fatness that have absolutely no effing thing to do mm. with fatness, right? There is no logical or medical correlation between laziness and fatness.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's amazing how often that is what people are treated as if they're lazy. They are treated as if they're not good enough. They're treated as if they're less desirable and therapists, when they help somebody with a weight loss journey, are reinforcing that message instead of helping somebody love themselves exactly as they
1: are. Yeah, that's really important talking about the laziness too, because I know myself having, you know, spent about 30 years dieting every Monday, it's exhausting. Like yes. you, there's no way you can be lazy and diet. <laughs> right. So much effort goes into thinking about the diet, getting ready for the diet, shopping for the diet, starting the diet, and then failing the diet. <laughs> I mean, right. There is no such thing as lazy when it comes to this. It's, it's unbelievable, isn't it?
0: And then there's this sense of personal failure when you were trying to hold your breath underwater for four hours. It's not a personal failure that I cannot hold my breath underwater. And it's not anybody listening's personal failure that they cannot lose the weight that they've been told that they need to, to lose by people that they often trust, like doctors.
1: Mm. And this is really important because I know in your post you wrote that um, doctors aren't trained in nutrition and yet they're usually the first port of call for people to, you know, people always say, oh, go to your doctor if you're having problems with your weight or problems with Mm -hmm. um, an eating, eating disorder. My experience is that any doctor I've ever been to has been pretty clueless when it comes to this stuff, to be honest.
0: Absolutely. I know in the States, it's, it might be like one class, one time, not like a Mm -hmm. course over a semester. It's like they have someone come in and guest lecture for one class and like dietetics is a very dense field. There's a lot in there. You can't Mm -hmm. learn that in an hour. And that's why we have people with master's degrees and doctorates in dietetics. Dietetics, There's a lot to learn. So because our culture doesn't like fatness and doesn't like fat people, it just kind of gets wrapped up in medical science mm. as if it's science, but it's not. It's just discrimination.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you were mentioning earlier around um, it's like holding your breath underwater for four hours and it doesn't work. So I think I've mentioned on a podcast before, I think it was something like a 95% failure rate, which makes a 5% success rate with dieting. Why can't people lose weight and keep it off?
0: Well, <laughs> there are a number of factors, including leptin and ghrelin, these hormones that our body produces to let us know that we're satisfied, let us know that we're hungry. And when you mess with your food intake so much, they get confused and they stop signaling to us. Plus biology, like our just our genetic biology, the way that we are born. Mm. I find it really interesting. We're getting taller as a species and that's really? like yeah. not thought about. We're just getting taller. But the fact that we're weighing more or that we're having more fat is somehow a really bad thing. But the taller thing just happened, Mm. right? Just the bias there is so clear to me. So it's interesting to me that there's so much pressure, I would say, too. Like all this pressure makes it worse. Because many of us, when we're feeling stressed out, might turn to food, mm. which then makes us feel worse about ourselves. And so much of that pressure is because we're being told in numerous ways that we don't look the way we're supposed to look and that that has some bearing on who we are as human beings. Mm. And yeah. so there's sometimes some punishment there. But even if there was no self-punishment, many of us are going to be fat. And that says nothing about who we are as people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The other thing you mentioned was around socioeconomic inequalities. Is there anything you wanted to add around that?
0: Yeah. I mean, so what we see in the data, much of which is spearheaded by Lindo Bacon, is, and yes, Bacon. <laughs> I yeah. love that one of our <laughs> primary researchers in this field has the last name Bacon. we love to. But much of what they find is that when you're looking at studies about weight and fatness, And health conditions, because that's a big thing that we talk about here in the United States is like, oh, these fat people are such a drain on our medical system and we're all paying for this. When in actuality, if you adjust for socioeconomic status, we find that there's no difference, no significant difference between fatness or weight Uh and health, that we have this huge confounding variable That again, as scientists or people who at least have studied science and who were taught science in grad school, we're supposed to be heeding. And yet, it's a fact that so few people know, partly because it's counter to what our culture tells us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And one of the problems with this, and I I have actually talked about this a little bit before with, um, I think it was Cheryl Fuller way back, but um, in your opinion, what gets missed when the therapist, or, you know, I mean, we're talking about health professionals in general, really, because we're talking about doctors too, but Specifically in therapy, when when someone comes in the, and we start getting focused on uh, helping them lose weight, which a lot of the therapists in these posts actually say that they do, or well, they're looking for support in doing, what gets missed when a the therapist focuses on dieting the client's weight as a problem to be eradicated?
0: Oh, everything that actually matters. Right? Because there's a cognitive dissonance. You said you were going to follow this strict diet or you said you were going to limit your calories or exercise this many times and you didn't do it. Like, why didn't you do that? How can you get back on track? Like it becomes this very goal-driven thing based on something somebody is not going to be able to achieve, not long-term anyway. And so you're spending all this time and energy and therapy not helping someone. You're missing some of their self-worth stuff that makes them feel like this is necessary. You're missing what's going on for them relationally. You know, being able to talk about, okay, well, you have a lot of thin friends that you're feeling judged by. Like, let's see if that's your own self judgment that you're projecting onto them. Or let's see if there are ways that we can talk to them about the way that feels for them, if it is something that the friends are doing. Like there's all this good, juicy stuff that actually adds to their life mm-hmm. instead of them feeling further shamed when the thing that doesn't work doesn't work.
1: Uh, absolutely. And I know in your, in your post, uh, you know, one of, or two of the other things that you mentioned to uh, you know, when we think about when someone comes and, and lately, even talking about dieting, I would call that disordered eating. I don't think anyone who's dieting typically chronically diets anyway, you know, yo yo dieting or weight cycling, we call it now. But um, I know for me, when I first went to my therapist, I think I had believed that I I really went to, I've had, had a peak spiritual experience. So that sort of had sort of woken me up and thought, oh, I don't really want to be living like this anymore. So that kind of got me there. Um, mm-hmm. But I think one of the other parts that really got me there is that bulimia wasn't working anymore and I thought, I'll go to the therapist and I'll get her to help me lose weight. <laughs> uh-huh. and what I realised when I got there after a few sessions and I was sort of coming and there's this little chart on, on the floor that she'd drawn for me, I was actually there because, A, I had an eating disorder, which I I didn't really know that I kind of knew, but I didn't really but I was really there because of all this underlying early childhood developmental trauma. I mean that's and that took the chunk of my therapy. So I know you wrote about that in the post as well. So would you just say a little bit more to people around the trauma that might be underlying disordered eating?
0: Absolutely. I mean, There are a lot of reasons. I realize like I have a lot of heat in my voice when I talk about this. I get Mm. really soapboxy. So before I go (laughs) into this, I do want to also say, I don't want any therapists to feel like I'm yelling at them if they've done this in the past. I just want you to do better going forward. Mm -hmm. But you may be in this soup with all your clients, right? So you didn't realize you were in it. Now you do. And you can do some great things from here. So here's the thing many of our clients, unless they are specifically identifying that they have been through a traumatic experience, they don't come in saying like, oh yeah, so I have anxiety, but really it's trauma underlying it, right? Mm -hmm. Or I have this thing with food, but it's really trauma. If we're not asking those questions, if we're not building that relationship, we may never get to work on trauma with people. And thus they might still carry that by themselves. And if we are focused on this other thing... Eating disorders, it's going to sound bad. Eating disorders work in many ways. Oops. They really help soothe in so many pain points for us. So you don't have to worry about dating, for instance, maybe. If you're like mm-hmm. off the market right now because you're trying to lose weight first. You don't have to worry about whether or not you want to see an abusive parent on the holiday because right now you're just going to focus on getting down to your goal weight. And so it takes, it pulls all this emotional and mental energy into this thing that doesn't, like, even if you hit that goal weight, like nothing, there's no parade or band, life doesn't get better. You just hit your goal weight. You think you're going to be more confident. You think you're going to have all these things, but you're still a survivor of trauma who's trying to get through it. So if you're focusing on these things that don't matter, that ultimately the person will fail at because everyone will, 95% of people fail at, then you're doing them the disservice of not helping them through something like trauma. Trauma really has people often look at their bodies as an enemy or look at their bodies as something inherently wrong instead of a piece of themselves or a part of themselves that is deserving of love and respect. And eating disorders can be a manifestation of that, of that punishment for this Part of self that from the external is supposed to be very important and is what you're judged by, Mm -hmm. but internally feels like it's betrayed you.
1: Absolutely, and the other thing too. I know myself being in a big body. When you go to the doctor, they quite often, you know, any kind of issue, it's always blamed on weight. But um, Mm -hmm. no one ever said, "Oh, do you have an eating disorder?" Not once because the focus, especially if someone's in a big body, if you're in a thin body, they well, actually they ignore it too then. (laughs) Uh Uh, But if you're in a big body, the first thing that they will recommend is weight loss. So a lot of therapists get duped by that as well, that here comes this person in a big body and there must be something wrong with them. And there is, but it's not what they think it is.
0: Right. And I'm somebody with thin privilege. I've never been talked to about my weight by a doctor. But when I was going through recovery, they were insisting on weighing me even when I didn't want to be weighed. And I was really young at the time and didn't know that I didn't have to be weighed. And now when I go to the doctor, I'll decline to be weighed and they'll, they'll actually check in with me and be like, are you having some struggles with food or body stuff? And I'm like, no, I just, it's not a relevant medical fact. So you don't need to do it. Because <laughs> I want to help normalize in my community that if the person who comes in after me doesn't want to be weighed because they do have food and body struggles, I want that to just be like a thing that happens sometimes. Then maybe they ask about. I think that can be responsible to ask about it in a, in a kind way, but there's this myth that that's reliable information about anything in your health anyway. And then a myth that you're supposed to like you have to be weighed in order to have your appointment or something. When you can deny any part of care.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned thin privilege there, and it might actually fit in with my next question for you. So, what personal work do you feel that therapists need to do around food, weight, and body concerns?
0: So I think, because we just talked about thin privilege, I'll start there. I think that those of us who are smaller or who can get straight sizes, like you go to a store and they will have your size available on the racks. Like maybe, like even if you don't see yourself as thin, if you can shop at the department store, not in the plus size area, in the basement, Mm -hmm. you know, um, you do have thin privilege. And I think that sometimes we conflate poor body image. Those of us, who have been privileged with, we will conflate poor body image with knowing what it's like to be fat. We have no clue. And yeah. those of us who have numerous privileges, like I can acknowledge, I have no idea what it's like to be a black woman in America. Yeah. No idea. I listen and I learn, but I don't have that personal experience. I also don't have the personal experience, though I have thought I was fat and I really believed in my heart I was fat at different times. I have never been discriminated against for my weight. It's yeah. a very different
1: thing. And it's really important, actually, because when we went to L.A. and then we were flying to Hawaii, oh. our bags got lost. And the first thing I thought about was, oh, no, what am I going to do? It had taken me six months to find a swimming costume that looked nice, sat right, and, you know, in a big body because you have to go to the plus size section. Plus it was, I think that was, I mean, it was summer when we went, so it was fine. I, I was able to find one. But when the bag went missing, I thought, oh, I'm going to have to go, go find a swimming costume that fits and some clothes, you know, for that first couple of days. And when I got there, I was so happy because the plus size section was all over the Target store there because there would uh-huh. be a lot of big people there. Awesome. <laughs> But it's yeah. the first time and the first place I've ever actually been able to go and find something that easily. That is,
0: I mean, even just finding clothes or finding a bathing suit or finding underwear. These are things that so many of us don't have to think about. And it doesn't like we might be like, oh, I hate the way I look at this bikini. But that is not the same thing as mm. nothing fits my body. Mm. And I don't get to go to the beach now because nothing fits my body.
1: And we're not talking, you know, you only actually have to be a size. I don't I don't know about American sizes, but 16 plus over here. And you would struggle to find, find things at times, I think, a lot of the time.
0: Right. And it's interesting because most women in the US are considered plus size. Wow. It's, the average size is like kind of on the cusp of plus size. Mm-hmm. And so it's very interesting that we have so few options. There is a like a ton of money to be made, if people will get over their BS mm. and make some really amazing clothes for women of size. Yeah, it says something to me that, as such a strongly capitalistic culture, we don't have more companies catering to women in bigger bodies. Yeah, amazing. Money rules all in the United States, for yeah. goodness' sakes. But apparently, not fat phobia. <laughs>
1: Yeah, say more about that. So we're talking about the personal work that therapists have might have to do around this stuff. So say more about fat phobia.
0: Oh gosh, can we go on for a few hours? (laughs) Um, (laughs) People have heard the term homophobia. They Mm -hmm. it's it's not liking someone because they're fat. It's not respecting someone because they're fat. It's any kind of judgment over fatness. And I recognize some people may be cringing, especially therapists who are not in this field, I've said the word fat like 1 million times already. I was going (laughs) to say Yes, yeah. It's a very scary, harsh word for many people. Mm. And in the same way that the LGBTQ plus crowd has taken back the word queer, Mm -hmm. when it used to be a horrendous insult back in the day, fat people have taken back the word fat. That it is a descriptor. It's not a judgment. So part of normalize at least in the States, I don't know how it is for you guys, but in the States, those of us in this fight are trying to use the word fat more often, even though I still cringe a little bit and I've been saying it on stage for years, you know, because mm. it was just such a harsh thing to say in my youth. But we're trying to say the word more to help neutralize it. Yeah, Every single one of us has fat, all of us. Some people have more fat than others, but our food, most of our food has fat in it. There's no reason that we should be afraid of this word. It just speaks to our dislike of and the discrimination against
1: fat people. It's interesting because I've been doing some um, somatic training and going through body layers with a sort of guided meditation and you go through the skin and the fascia and the the muscle and the fat and to the bone. And every time I come back to the, the most regulated, where I feel most regulated is in the layer of the fat. And the two other people that I worked with in the little triads where we did the exercises, they both felt most comfortable in the fat. We were like, what on earth is going on here? Like, you know, we're so anti-fat. And yet for the three of us, that was where we felt most regulated.
0: That's really and when you think about what fat does for our body, right? It insulates, Mm. it protects. There are a lot of really positive pieces of like. Having fat that we never give any credence to. There's like a comfort, right? Absolutely. I wonder if that's why.
1: I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. I know this going to. Be, I know this because I've seen it in the comments of of these types. If if you were to type out what you said today, some of these will be the comments that you would get. So <laughs> I want to hear what you've got to say about it. But what about the obesity crisis? Isn't it unhealthy to be fat? But the doctor told the client she needs to lose weight. Surely it's my job to support her in that. Why is it important that therapists pause and listen to those of us who have studied in this field for years and years and years? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm at about 21 years in this field now and who, you know, who specialize in disordered eating.
0: Yes. So that was what I was imploring people in that one post you're talking about. Yeah. Like, please, I understand. <laughs> But I'm not going to tell somebody who's specialized in addiction for decades, like, oh, no, 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 it's this. Do you just need to take this magic pill over here? I'm not trying to insert myself in something I have not studied. So there is a reason that you will not see an eating disorder specialist use the word obesity without quotation marks. Yeah, It is not a helpful term. It's based off body mass index, which is not based in science, even though we use it in science. Mm. And y'all can just Google that before you come at me with it. Go ahead and Google. (laughs) I think that there's also just this rhetoric out there that being fat is unhealthy. And like we talked about earlier, doctors don't have training in dietetics, not substantial training. And another comment that will usually get spawned from this, and I'll point out, like my group has I don't know how many people, probably somewhere between 20,000 and 30,000 people in it, mostly therapists. Other kind of healers are in there too, like dieticians and stuff. But these are the responses from therapists. These aren't responses from uneducated people. These aren't responses from people who outwardly dislike human beings. These are people who are just caught up in what we've all been taught our whole lives, which is not yeah. necessarily true. Yeah. So I swear I'm going to answer your question. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, So the word obesity, it's not based in anything that gives us any real information. Mm -hmm. And as we talked about earlier, when you look at the confounding variable of socioeconomic status, obesity is not linked to health. And so if those things aren't even linked, what we're really looking at is a problem with classism Mm -hmm. and fat phobia mixed together and lack of resources. So, yes, there are people of size that are super wealthy, absolutely. But we're talking about like statistics right now, right? We're going to hit the science. Yeah. We sometimes talk about things we don't really know a lot about. We all do this. Like none of us are super proud of it when we get called out. But when yeah. it comes to weight, um, unless you have studied this significantly, unless you know the studies I'm talking about, you probably shouldn't be talking to anyone about their weight, mm-hmm. period.
1: So I'm going to object to, I'm going to be one of these therapists, so I'm going to object to that, but I've read every single diet book there is over the last 30 years and I read uh, Mind, Body, Green and I, um, I read all about health and the doctors haven't got it right and I do know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm.
0: So the chances of somebody developing an eating disorder while dieting is far and beyond the uh, chances of somebody actually losing weight. So, would you prefer to be responsible for somebody developing an eating disorder, or prefer to be responsible for somebody staying the same weight and maybe learning to love themselves no matter what they
1: weigh? Really good answer. I'm glad. a little
0: feistier. That's that might be the first draft that I type out those Jody. I mean, you know. I like'll type out a thing and then I'll have one of my staff members read it because I Get so feisty, and she'll be like, "Maybe temper this one sentence a little, because you're kind of being a bitch." Like, okay, okay, because I want people to be able to hear me and not hop into defensiveness. So I might soften that a little more if it was written, but if it was verbal, I would have that conversation.
1: Yeah, and you know what the saddest thing is? I think even you saying that that the 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 chance of developing an eating disorder is much higher than losing weight and keeping it off. I think people are so stuck that they can't. it's really difficult to hear that. And I guess for me as someone, you know, and you probably know this as well with your own history. Yeah. What if I'm in that 5%? Mm-hmm. What we all I, get to be
0: super special, right? Yeah.
1: What if I'm, I know if I just give it one more go, I will be in that 5% that can do it.
0: <laughs> yeah. It breaks my heart. I haven't read the studies about like what the people in that 5% have in common. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there are markers for that. I don't know if like their success at losing weight is actually them developing an eating disorder. I don't know. I'd be very interested to know, but I think that there is a chance that some of that 5% at least have the genetic markers for, Mm -hmm. or the heritability at least for anorexia and, that they can do that because they're not giving their bodies what their bodies need.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a, you raise a really great point around that five percent because what I know is even friends who have you know very very slim and and, and kept weight off, they're very restrictive in their eating. That there's not like a natural vibe to it. it. It's there's always some kind of restriction there, from what I can see anyway. They're always on a restriction, not mm-hmm. to the point where it's anorexia, but deprivation. There's always deprivation there of some kind that I see. That's you know. Who knows, it may be different for some
0: people. So, Yeah. And it makes me sad because, I mean, as I discovered when I got more strongly into recovery, there's this whole other world out there mm. that is so much more joyful and pleasurable. I get to think about all sorts of other things and do all sorts of other things because my food thoughts are basically like, oh, I'm hungry. I should eat. Here's some food I've eaten. <laughs> you know, yeah. It doesn't take up. of my day in the way it used to. It's just so much more fun.
1: And I want to say to you, the people that usually ask these questions, I I, I want to make it clear that we're not actually having, I I really admire that someone asked this question. And I think people get a lot of attacks sometimes when they ask questions like this in in big groups like that. So there's no sort of shaming of anyone who asks these questions. It's typically the people that sort of stick on at this sort of, um, what about the obesity stuff and that the, where it sort of becomes a problem, I think. But for people who are willing to learn and to support their clients, how can they provide a safe space and what should they do if they aren't specialists in this field and find themselves with clients who A, want to lose weight, or B, on further exploration, have disordered eating of some kind?
0: Well, I think that if somebody does have disordered eating or an eating disorder, it would be really good to either consult with a colleague who's an eating disorder specialist or refer to that person. I would consult to decide whether or not you need to refer, because I think a lot of us are like, I can, I mean, I can handle this. I'll just get a little learning, but we don't really want to mess with one of the deadliest mental health conditions ever in the history of mental health conditions. And just because somebody's in a big body doesn't mean they're safe from that. It's not just folks with like low weight anorexia who are dying of eating disorders. So I love Lindo Bacon's work. Body respect is a really great one. Health at every size is another really great one. I also really like intuitive eating and I would recommend a therapist first read these books with themselves in mind, not with their clients in mind. It's really easy for us to Sometimes we like over diagnose ourselves based on what we're reading. But sometimes when we're like, oh, I'm working with a client with like a diet history, I want to know more about these things that was on that podcast. I don't want you to read the book with that one person in mind. I want you to read it with you in mind and how you've bought into the diet industry. All of us have. I give you a big hug. We've all been there. But how you might have bought in, what you can learn about the actual science of weight loss, what you can learn about the discrimination against people Mm -hmm. who are in bigger bodies and to just learn from your perspective, do the intuitive eating workbook. Intuitive eating at its essence is like learning to listen to your body's cues and learning to trust them and not overthinking what you're going to do based on, you know, this is the fad diet right now or carbs are bad or fat is bad or Mm -hmm. whatever food is being demonized in that moment. So I would go through those things for yourself first and then reread with clients in mind to help root it in from a more kind of clinical perspective. But we're all swimming in this. We can't get away from
1: it. I think one of the most important things, you know, that's really, I really love that you said for the client, um, for the therapist to do their own work around this, because we can sort of focus on the surface level around changing sort of behaviors and whatever, whatever else. But for someone who has been, Bought into diet culture and has been living diet culture, which we all have. For me, mourning the loss of the, uh, you know, being thin, or you know, letting go of dieting, even mm-hmm. we just know that there's so much stuff underneath that that can get stirred up the minute you say, "I'm never buying another diet book ever again," or "I'm never going on another diet ever again." There is a whole piece of work to do there underneath that.
0: Yeah, because you're giving up a dream. You're giving up this thing you have been taught to work for your whole life. That's heavy.
1: It is. And I think if therapists are going to support clients in that. They need to have an understanding of it themselves, don't they?
0: Absolutely. And feel free to do that deeper work too, not just reading the books, but seeing, as you guys know, like most therapists are not trained in this. And so Mm -hmm. to seek out an eating disorder or a disordered eating therapist for yourself not because you think you have a raging eating disorder and might need to go into treatment, but because you need to know this in your bones to be of service to your clients who are struggling with the same thing. You don't have to do it perfectly. None of us are doing this perfectly. I'm not walking around like naked all day, thinking about how hot I am. Like that's just like not realistic. We're working more towards acceptance than full throttle love for the way we look. (laughs) So we're seeing a, I would say very clearly an eating disorder dietitian, because there are some people who are not actually trained who are claiming the title. There are some people who are trained in different ways, different theories. They haven't seen this research, but I would find an eating disorder dietitian and learn how to intuitively eat because it's so freeing you guys.
1: And I often see in groups, uh, people when, you know, when they sort of hear that refer out, they're like, hey, hang on a minute. I'm the only one in town here. There's there's actually nowhere else for people to go. So I think that piece around them doing their own work is really, really useful for that. But uh, any advice for therapists like that where maybe there is no one else to refer to?
0: I think that when you feel like there's no one else to refer to, you're not thinking outside the box. The last year and a half has shown us online yeah, therapy yeah. is a great way to do therapy. It works. Yeah. It's not my favorite, honestly. Being in person is more my gig, but I have been grateful for the opportunity to do online therapy over the last year and a half. And I think if you're saying there's nobody can do it that can do it in the states you're saying nobody in this in your entire state works with eating disorders, that's not true at all. Um, I can tell you somebody in every single state in the United States that works with eating disorders competently. So I would look outside of your town. I would find out what other resources are around. And in the meantime, get some training because we need more therapists who get this desperately. Yeah, absolutely. And there are great resources out there. You just, you have to be willing to give up the fact that you're the one who's going to help this person.
1: And I think that's really important too. And just for Australian listeners in the U.S., um, therapists are already allowed to work within their state, although I did see that that might be – did you see that? I think there was talk of something changing with that, or am I making that up?
0: In the States or in Australia? In the States. Some states that have banded together for psychologists specifically. Uh um, You know, we have Uh lots of different types of therapists here. And so specifically for psychologists, you can get – licensed across like a handful of states
1: I just find that so bizarre as a therapist I mean imagine someone you know you're be in California and then they go up to like New York or something for university and not being able to keep the same therapist I just find that so tragic in a way
0: yeah, absolutely. I have to like reframe it for myself. Oh, look, there's like a way to work towards new attachment. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, that's true. But you know, if someone's like only like half a year or a year into their therapy or something and they go off to college, I think it's, I mean, I work with people long term. So I would see that as um, quite, quite hard, yeah. I think. But, but look, so. You know, we would be talking to therapists and hopefully they've got some takeaways. I know that there's going to be a lot of women listening to this who are struggling with trauma, disordered eating, feeling unworthy. Is there anything you would like to say to them about the topics that we'd be talking about today?
0: I would say there's no shame in wanting to lose weight. You're trained to want to lose weight. Mm. I want you to be very wary of a therapist who's going to support that. Most of them will. Most of them will support that. I want you to find somebody who will not support that. I know that's not what you want to hear.
1: (laughs) I I know it's Your self-eating disorder self getting a bit anxious when you say that.
0: I know. I know. I, I mean, I feel... Like I have so much love for this population. And I know that sometimes like we have to go to some crappy therapists first. And sometimes, unfortunately, we have to suffer a little more before we find Mm -hmm. the person or people who are really helping us sort through some things we need to sort through. Mm. But if you feel like your therapist right now is not getting there, talk to them about it. Ask them if they're aware of health at every size. Ask them if they're aware of intuitive feeding. And be really clear that that's something you need. And if they can't provide it, ask them to find you some referrals and look for some referrals on your own because mm. you deserve to not suffer anymore.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And as I've noticed over the it's been a real shift over the last year. I've actually had people specifically come and say, I'm coming specifically because I saw you had health at every size on your website. So I think the message is getting out there, which is good. Mm-hmm. So... And people who have had horrendous experiences with health professionals re- around their wage. Obviously I can't say more than that, but um there's just some of the stories are just shocking. So I think some people are becoming I know on Instagram there's a lot of fat activists and health exercise <laughs> activists that that, you know, I, I would recommend following as well if you're especially for therapists to follow people like that. I think I think that's a good recommendation too.
0: Yeah. And I think it helps wake you up to some things that I've been doing this work for I don't know, since 2001. Mm. And there are still sometimes I'll see like an Instagram post of all things with all the research I've read, all the training I've had. Sometimes I'll see like one Instagram post and I'm like, oh man, that really punched me in the gut. That is true. And I hadn't thought about it like that, you know? So I think having this breadth of different experiences that you can kind of learn from on social media, it's, it's using social media for good.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's one lady, I can't remember her name, but she's in a big body and she does like a fashion, like a different outfit every day. <laughs> uh-huh. I can't remember her name. I'll try and find it and link to it in the show notes. But I always, I mean, I even look at her and think, oh my God, you're so brave. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Imagine if there was more people doing that. And I think it would uh, just make it so much easier for so many people.
0: Yeah. And I want to clarify the brave part cuz some people might hear that and think you're like, "Oh, even though you're fat, you're doing this." And it's not that. It's brave because people on the internet are assholes.
1: <laughs> oh, my god. So oh, the comments are unbelievable.
0: Yeah. And so for people to put themselves out there with joy and acceptance and love. And really, if people go and look at the comments, like you see the posts and you're full of excitement and then you read Mm. some of the comments, not all, but some of the comments. And it's so deflating because it shows us how much work we have to do in this
1: culture. That's a really good point that you raised there in my explanation of that in in terms of being brave. I think that's a really great way of putting it. For me, it's it's about going against the grain, you know, it's Mm -hmm. just being not being different because we are in a big body, but being different about being comfortable in a big body.
0: Yes. And there's so many great examples of that online now in a way that it really is something that makes me grateful for social media, which I'm not frequently grateful for, (laughs) but it's one of
1: social media,
0: (laughs) you know, it's one of those things that makes it feel worth it to to have, because so many of us learn by example. Right. And so to have these examples of embodied, powerful, excited, joyful women in any, and all body sizes and shapes, but particularly those in bigger bodies, because they have been told probably their entire life that they should be focused instead on weight loss and not on the joyful things they're focused on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So do you still, I know you're very busy with therapists. Do you still work with eating disorder clients? I
0: do. I have like the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest little caseload. And I have a group practice that serves folks with eating disorders. Oh, okay. But the vast majority of my time is spent helping therapists build their
1: practices. Yeah. Okay. So for anyone listening, a client who might want to work with your group practice or, or get a recommendation from you, how do they find you, Allison?
0: They can find me over at alisonpereer.com.
1: Great. And so tell people, obviously this episode was uh, aimed at therapists, so they're probably going to want to know what we're talking about when we talk about you helping therapists. So would you just share your offerings and where therapists can find you?
0: Absolutely. So AbundancePracticeBuilding.com and AbundanceParty.com are where you can find me if you want help building your practice. And I've helped folks all over the world, I think 60 something countries at this point. So I, I have Sometimes people will be like, well, I'm in Canada or I'm in Australia or I'm in Mm -hmm. Turkey. Does it count here too? Yes. And while I love working with people with disordered eating and eating disorders, I feel like I was put on this earth to help therapists get some freedom because I think they're better therapists when they're in private practices that work for them. Mm -hmm. So that works better for all the clients of the world. Mm -hmm. So that's what I do. I have different tiers of offers. So I have free stuff. I have um, low cost stuff and I have expensive stuff depending on how much help you want.
1: Yeah, and normally your online courses and things like that—is it a membership or an online course? It's right. a membership. It's a membership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that people can join at any time.
0: Yeah, we yeah. don't do the whole
1: false scarcity thing with that. Yeah,
0: yeah, um- <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, and I will link to all that in the show notes so that anyone who is interested can find you there. Thanks so much. Thank you. So- and I want to say to you too. I want to say thank you for something. <laughs> Two or three years ago, I posted about the needy baby in my mouth. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I got Invisalign and I haven't really done a podcast episode on this, but I think I will at some point. I've got Invisalign braces and I, I've been in recovery for like 20 years and I could not believe how triggered I was by having the Invisalign. Uh, so Invisalign braces for anyone who doesn't know, they're plastic braces that you fit in your mouth. And you commented to me and mentioned having a history of an eating disorder, and it just really soothed me.
0: Oh, good. So thank you. I think that the Invisalign thing, I'm so clear. I'm glad that I've had Invisalign at this point because I feel like when we're working with teenagers in our group practice, everybody knows discourage. If the kid's about to go get braces, (laughs) discourage Invisalign because it is extremely triggering for anybody listening. Like that's because you take it in and out. You're supposed to keep them in, what is it? 22, 23 hours a day. day, yeah. 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 And as somebody who I listened to my hunger cues. That meant I was snacking, eating, drinking, yeah. doing what I wanted food-wise to keep my body healthy. But it was a big pain in the neck because then you have this whole like rigmarole that you have to do where you have to like yeah. pop this stuff out of your mouth and then you've got to like brush everything down and you know, you know, so there were times when I was like, it's just going to be too much of a pain in the neck to eat this snack. And whoa, that's exactly. not good. Exactly. <laughs>
1: And for me too, it was, they're so demanding, (laughs) you know. Yes. And I just found it so, look, it's fine now. I've still got mine in. It's about three years later, but I've got beautiful straight teeth now, which is nice. (laughs) But um, I just remember that post that I posted and you commented and I thought, oh, okay, someone actually, actually knows what this is like going through this. So yeah. Yeah. anyway, thank you for that. So
0: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. we got to stick together. None of absolutely. us are
1: weird. Yeah, <laughs> none, of us are, none of us are wrong. <laughs> All right, Alison, thank you so much for coming. I'm hoping therapists get a lot out of this. I'm sure they will. And, um, you know, it's a really important message to get out there for those that are helping people who are suffering.
0: Yeah. I hope that people take some of what we talked about today and really apply it. It's so good, not just for you, but for your clients too. Thank you for listening to the Soul Sessions
1: podcast. Love this episode? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. To learn more about how you can befriend your body, feelings, mind, and soul, get Jody's free 65-page ebook at thesoulcenter.online. Until next time.